One of the most iconic, maybe the most iconic Christmas poem that there is, is Clement Clark Moore's "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." Of course, that's not the actual title to that poem. Does anybody know what the actual title is? No. Okay. It is A Visit from St. Nicholas. But we call it by that other title because that's the way that it begins. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a... The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that soon would be there. Absolutely. The children were nestled all snug in their beds with visions of danced in the... All right, we got to just stop right there. How many of you really believe that tonight, Christmas Eve, that your children are going to be going to bed with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads, all right? We've got two people who believe that here today, and they're both children, and they probably don't even know what they are. I mean, do you know what a sugar plum is? Yeah, I've never actually had a sugar plum, but uh, I don't think I want one. But no, a sugar plum, um, many people have never tasted what a sugar plum is like. That's not what children are going to bed thinking. Maybe an Xbox, sure, that's what's going through their head. Maybe an iPhone, definitely some Hatchimals, but uh, no, not sugar plums. I've never had a sugar plum myself, but apparently it must have been a great delicacy back in the early 19th century when that poem was first published. Thankfully, today we've got better-sounding Christmas treats like fruitcake, yeah, that, that we all love so much, I know. No, there are other Christmas delicacies that you might be partaking in here today. I've learned of a few new ones this season. For instance, did you know that there are now pickle-flavored candy canes? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about, uh, about that as well. Or if you're going to celebrate your Christmas in South Africa, be, pre be prepared for them to serve you some fried worms. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Or maybe better yet, you'd like to go to Norway, and if you're there, you could have their traditional dinner of roasted sheephead. I I'm not making any of this up, I promise you. I'm not making it up. Well, I don't know how appealing those are to you, but I'm sure that you have Christmas foods that very much are appealing to you, that you're going to be enjoying here today, special Christmas foods, special Christmas traditions you're going to be enjoying today and tomorrow, and that's the way that it should be. But I've got to tell you, one of my very favorite of all Christmas traditions is being here with you. Seriously. Yeah, Oh no, I mean it, I, I really do. The Christmas Eve service is something that has always been just a very special time in, in my experience of Christmas and our family's Christmas life. We'd come together and we'd serve all the services and all of that. But it's a great time to be together, just to celebrate. I love the, everything about it, the music I love, I love the anticipation, I love seeing so many of you dressed in your red Usually people come in red or a Steelers jersey, one or the other. And we've, got, we've even got more variety than that today, which is fantastic. But it is good to be here together. I'm sure you've got Christmas traditions. The best part of the celebration of the season, though, most definitely is celebrating the fact that Jesus has come to be God with us. Such good news. We've been thinking a lot at Pathway lately about why it is that Jesus came to be God with us. It's not that difficult to figure out, really, because the Christmas story just comes right out and tells us. In Matthew's gospel, where he records it, he talks about the angel appearing to Joseph, 
And Joseph speaks of Mary these words, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about God with us. And if Jesus came to be God with us, we need to ask ourselves, who are the us? Who are the people that Jesus came to be near? The people whose lives he came to impact? And there are a few different groups, I think, that sort of jump out of the Scriptures as we think about, yes, the birth of Jesus, but much more than that, all of what it is that he came to do. So thinking forward into his life as well. And the first of those groups that I think about are the unexpected the unexpected. On one occasion, a man ran up to Jesus and he says, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him some outward indications that something significant might be going on in his heart. And he said, I've done all of those things. Jesus said, then go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And at that, the man went away sad because he had many possessions and it wasn't in his heart to give away to the poor. It was just an indication of the fact that his heart really was hard. Mark tells us what happens next. He says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But it doesn't stop there. Look at this. This is absolutely fascinating. He says, the disciples were amazed at his words that It was difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and he says similar thing. Yet once again, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? See, the disciples were revealing in their response to this what was a common understanding and misconception in those days relative to spiritual blessings. See, they assumed that if there were spiritual blessings that were going to be available to anyone, they would be available for the wealthy and the well-connected, that they would be the ones at the top of the list. What it essentially is, is salvation by status, that they came to believe or that they had sort of as this basis or assumption in understanding. And here's the thing, a lot of those people were well-connected. They had accomplished a lot thinking that the accomplishments that they had lived out were the things that were going to get them favor with God. But there's a problem with that, and that is that that's not why Jesus came, and that's not what the basis of favor with God is all about. It doesn't come from how well-connected you are. It doesn't come from how wealthy you are. It comes by grace through faith. That's what the Scriptures make very, very plain to us. There are plenty of people today, I'm afraid, who have fallen into that same trap, believing that it's on the basis of the things that we have accomplished that we have that assurance that we can have that hope of the future being ours with God simply because of what we have done or where we have been. You might find yourself in that position today. Sure, you know you haven't done everything right, but you look around you and you see all of the, the bad people who exist in our world. You, you read all of that awful news that is going on in people around the world and you say, well, God must look on me with more favor than them and so I'm just going to kind of run with that and I'm going to hope for the best in where I am, what I've done. See, just like it was for the unaware disciples, the idea that you need a new relationship with Jesus for his favor to fall on you, that might strike you as being a bit unexpected here today as well. But that's why he came. Friends, just stop to ask yourself the question. If you could provide for you all of what you need in order to get God's favor, then why did Jesus come? 
if you could take care of it on your own, for yourself, why did Jesus come? He came because we were in need of His grace. He came because we cannot accomplish it all for ourselves or on our own behalf. Friends, the good news is, the bottom line that I want to be sure that we all walk home with today is this, that Jesus came to meet you wherever you are. Jesus came to meet you wherever you are. Even if you have been putting your trust in what it is that you thought you could do for yourself all the way up to this point, He's ready to meet you right where you are today and move you into the relationship that He so much desires to have along with you and new hope and new assurance that you can come and experience for yourself. That's the good news of the Christmas story, the good news of Jesus come down to be God with us. Jesus came for the unexpected. Jesus also came for the unlovely. If I asked you to think about what do you consider to be unlovely, where would your mind go? I tend to think about feet. Because I think a lot of people's feet are pretty unlovely. I know that mine are because I have runner toes, and so I've got three or four like black toes that are pretty dead. I mean, toenails, not toes. As far as I know, my toes are staying on. But the toenails are going to fall off soon enough, and it's just absolutely disgusting. I could clear this room in a second if I took off my shoes. There would be no doubt about it. All right, what is unlovely to you? Uh, What else? Well, at this season of the year, we can think of some other things maybe. How about some Christmas sweaters? Some Christmas sweaters are are definitely unlovely. That one's kind of cute, I suppose. All right, how about the traditional roasted sheep head at Christmas? Sorry, that one just, I can't get that one out of my mind. Now you won't be able to either. Merry Christmas, yeah, all right. Or how about certain tree ornaments? (laughs) Booing on Christmas Eve, are you really stupid to this, right? All right, yeah, there are certain things that are just that unlovely that, uh, that we just have to respond to them. You've experienced that too. Well, we all have things that we consider to be unlovely, and in Jesus' day, they take that off the screen, would you please? Thank you. All right, there are certain things in Jesus' day that they considered to be unlovely as well, and one of those things were tax collectors. Tax collectors. Because what they did is they would go to somebody and say, you owe this tax. And nobody that was having it collected from them knew exactly what they owed, so they just had to believe them. What tax collectors did is they collected the tax and paid that where they needed to, but then they collected extra. And they were just lining their own pockets with it. One of the guys in the scriptures that we are told about who was a tax collector is a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. One time, Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he has an encounter with Zacchaeus. In fact, he goes over to his house, which didn't sit well, very well with a lot of people. In fact, here's what it says, what Luke tells us. All the people saw this, Jesus going over to his house, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What they're suggesting is that Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with this guy, that he was kind of beyond Jesus' help, or was certain, certainly beyond what Jesus should want to have compassion toward. They considered him most definitely to be unlovely, but Jesus felt differently. Instead of shunning Zacchaeus, Jesus drew him into a relationship with him. Jesus said in that scenario, today salvation has come to this house. 
And that's not all. In the very next verse, Jesus hammers home in this context why it is that he came to this earth. Here's what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's it. Most people say, well, that's the central verse of all of Luke's gospel. And we could make a very strong argument that that's the central verse of all of the Bible. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, the unlovely. And I know that there are some people here today who would put yourself in that category of the unlovely. You know what you've done. You know where you've been, where you've been. You know the thoughts that run through your mind on a regular basis. You put yourself right here in this group. I get it. You might not even be all that interested in pursuing Jesus because in your mind, He wouldn't even have you if you went toward Him. I understand But the message of the Bible is consistent again and again and again and again that Jesus came for the unlovely, like Zacchaeus a thief, like Paul a persecutor, like Rahab a prostitute, like David an adulterer, and on and on we could go, including ourselves. He came for us in our unloveliness, regardless of what our past has been or what our present is. Remember, my friends, Jesus came to meet you wherever you are. Whatever those thoughts, whatever that background, whatever it is that you've been doing this week that you would be totally ashamed if we found out, came to meet you wherever you are. Jesus came for the unexpected. He came for the unlovely. And he also came for the undeserving. When I think about those who are undeserving in the Bible, I think the list is extremely long like to include everybody. But there's one person who just sort of jumps out, at least in my mind as I think about it. He's a guy who didn't have anything at all to commend himself to God. Nobody would have stood up in his corner and battled for him in God's favor. He had nothing going for him. He was on the outside up until the last moments of his life. We usually call him the thief on the cross. You can probably picture the cross of Jesus. Oftentimes we see it there in three crosses. Jesus died on the center. Two criminals died on the outside. One of those criminals was this guy, the thief on the cross. And in a moment of simple but profound faith, he called out to Jesus. And Jesus responded. In fact, here's what he said. He said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no one less deserving than the thief on the cross. But interestingly enough, there's no one more deserving either. Because it's not about what we've done. It's not about what you've accomplished. It's not how, about how good you've been if you're on the flip side of those who consider themselves unlovely. Maybe you consider yourself to be lovely before God. That doesn't get it done. Salvation is a gift that is given to us by God. And it's what it is that we need to run to and lean on when it comes to experiencing His blessing for 
us. That's why he came. Remember what Jesus said? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or just straight from the Christmas story, these words, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you put yourself today in the category of the unexpected or the unlovely or the undeserving or maybe multiple groups you'd put yourself in. But the message of God with us is that regardless of where you are or where you have been, that Jesus comes as God with us to meet us here, to take us from the place where we are and move us to the place that he would have us to be. Bow your heads with me, would you please? I know that we're here today from a number of different places, experiences, backgrounds. But the good news that the Christmas story reminds us of again and again is that God came to be with us to do something that we couldn't do for ourselves. If we could have done it for ourselves, then why did Jesus come? So we need to recognize that there's this tension that exists. If I could have done it myself, why did Jesus come? But because Jesus came, it suggests, it insists that there was something that I needed. Something that all of us need, my friends. And I pray that you would not leave this place today without experiencing God with us in a real and powerful way. A way that transforms your heart, transforms this Christmas and everyone to come, including all of eternity. If you're here today and you're one who would say, well, I've, I've come to trust in, in Jesus who came to be with us, but my life has not really been what it ought to be. I've been wayward, I've been running, I've been doing my own thing. Then I urge you to take these moments just to spend a moment with God before you rush out of here into the busyness of all of the things that are to come, the dinners and the presents and the celebration and the family and all the rest of it, that you just have a moment here with God where you would make a renewal of your heart. Others of you are here today and you would say, you know what, I fall in those categories maybe of I didn't think it was that needed for me. I thought I'd kind of accomplished it on my own, that it was unnecessary Today I understand differently. Maybe you haven't been in that category, but you've been running from God and, and you really haven't been giving Him much consideration and you understand today that really you need to turn back or turn to for the first time. You know what you've done, you're afraid He might not have you, but the testimony of the Scriptures is that's why Jesus came. So for wherever you are, if you've never put that trust in Jesus, I encourage you to do so today. And you can do so simply by talking to God. That's what prayer is. I want to help you with that. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if these are the words that express the desire of your heart, if you just pray them quietly right where you're sitting. The work of God with us. Jesus on the cross to take your sin out of the way will be accomplished. Words like these. 
Dear God, thank you for Jesus who has come to be not just God with us, but God with me. I understand that I have walked in ways that have separated me from you, and today I confess those sins before you. I ask you for your forgiveness. And instead of resting in myself and putting my trust in things that I have done, I put my trust in you. Instead of running from you because I've been so far away and done so many things that are so bad, I trust in the fact that you have come to rescue me, to lift me out of the pit I've been in. I give myself to you, and I ask you to transform my mind and my life and my heart. Father, I thank you for each one who is here today and what it is that you have done in their hearts and their lives, even in these moments, and you tell us that this is the most exciting of Christmases because our hearts have been transformed and we have been changed. Lord, I would just pray for their encouragement. I would just pray that as they move forward from this place to live a new life, a new experience, that they would understand the fulfillment of your promise in their life and experience you with them every moment of every day. Father, thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.